Good evening, everybody. Welcome to an episode of Living Light Outdoors. On the mic with you in the office this evening, uh, we're going to recapture our story time with Buster. We're going to start a new book. Um, we're actually going to go to the beginning, to the very first book of Rick Joyner's that I've ever read. Uh, it was actually called fi The Final Quest. Many of you may be familiar with that. I hope you are. If not, man, you're going to buckle up because it's going to be a ride. We will... Um, the, the Torch and the Sword was actually book three of the trilogy that he began with. So I'm going to take us back to the beginning. And I want to take us to the, the very origins of what started all of his ministry through through these visions that he had been given. And again, this is um, these are prophetic visions. These are not... Uh, uh, these are not just uh, dreams. These are not just thoughts. These are these are prophetic visions that, that Rick Joyner was given, and I believe they're very timely. Um, I read The Final Quest quite some time ago, but it's still, even today, it's it, you're going to find how uh, timely this reading is and how timely what he has to say is in in this book as we travel through it. Uh, it is going to be a journey. It will stretch your thinking. Uh, like I said, buckle up. You're going to enjoy this ride. Uh, I hope you can follow along every chance you get. Always go back and check these out as we as we travel through these because I think you're going to find them quite interesting. So we're going to start tonight. We're going to we're going to begin the book called The Final Quest by Rick Joyner, and very chapter one right off the bat. This title of this chapter is called The Hordes of Hell Are Marching. The demonic army was so large that it stretched as far as I could see. It was separated into divisions, with each carrying a different banner. The foremost division marched under the banners of pride, self-righteousness, respectability, selfish ambition, unrighteous judgment, and jealousy. There were many more of these evil divisions beyond my scope of vision. But those in the vanguard of this terrible horde from hell seemed to be the most powerful. The leader of this army was the accuser of the brethren himself. The weapons carried by this evil horde were also named. The swords were named intimidation. The spears were named treachery. And the arrows were named accusation, gossip, slander, and fault-finding. Scouts and smaller companies of demons with such names as rejection, bitterness, impatience, unforgiveness, and lust were sent in advance of this army to prepare for the main attack. These smaller companies and scouts were much fewer in number, but they were no less powerful than some of the larger divisions that followed. They were smaller only for strategic reasons. Just as John the Baptist was given an extraordinary anointing for baptizing the masses to prepare them for the Lord, these smaller demonic companies were given extraordinary evil powers for baptizing the masses. A single demon of bitterness could sow his poison into multitudes of people, even entire races or cultures. A demon of lust would attach himself to a single performer, movie, or advertisement and send what appeared to be bolts of electric slime that would hit and de desensitize great masses of people. All of this was to prepare for the great horde of evil which followed. Although this army was marching specifically against the church, it was also attacking anyone else that it could. I knew that it was seeking to preempt a coming move of God, which was destined to sweep great numbers of people into the church. The primary strategy of this army was to cause division on every possible level of relationship. Churches with each other, 
congregations with their pastors, husbands and wives, children and parents, and even children with each other. The scouts were sent to locate the openings in churches, families, or individuals that such spirits as rejection, bitterness, and lust could exploit and enlarge. Through these openings would pour demonic influences that completely overwhelmed their victims. The subtitle of the next portion is called On the Backs of Christians. The most shocking part of this vision was that this horde was not riding on horses, but primarily on Christians. Most of them were well-dressed, respectable, and had the appearance of being refined and educated. But there were also seemed to be representatives from almost every walk of life. While these people professed Christian truths in order to appease their conscience, they lived their lives in agreement with the powers of darkness. As they agreed with those powers, their assigned demons grew and more easily directed their actions. Many of these believers were hosts to more than one demon, but one of the demons would clearly be in charge. The nature of the one in charge dictated which division it was marching in. Even though the divisions were all marching together, it also seemed that the entire army was on the verge of chaos. For example, the demons of hate hated the other demons as much as they did the Christians. The demons of jealousy were all jealous of one another. The only way the leaders of this horde kept the demons from fighting each other was to keep their hatred focused on the people they were riding. However, these people would often break out into fights with each other. I knew that some of the armies that came against Israel in the scriptures had ended up destroying themselves in this same way. When their purpose against Israel was thwarted, their rage was uncontrollable and they began fighting each other. I noted that the demons were riding on these Christians but were not in them, as was the case with non-Christians. It was obvious that these believers had only to stop agreeing with their demons in order to get free from them. For example, if the Christian on whom a demon of jealousy was riding just started to question jealousy, that demon would weaken very fast. When this happened, the weakened demon would cry out and the leader of the division would direct all the demons around that Christian to attack him until the jealousy, etc. would build up on him again. If this did not work, the demons would begin quoting scriptures, perverting them in a way that would justify the bitterness, accusations, or other satanic influence they were spreading. The power of the demons were clearly rooted almost entirely in the power of deception, but they had deceived these Christians to the point where they could use them and the Christians would think they were being used by God. This was because banners of self-righteousness were being carried by almost everyone, so that those marching could not even see the banners that marked the true nature of these divisions. As I looked far to the rear of this army, I saw the entourage of the accuser himself. I began to understand his strategy, and I was amazed that it was so simple. He knew that a house divided cannot stand, and his army represented an attempt to bring such division to the church that she would be powerless and ineffective. It was apparent that the only way the accuser could do this was to use Christians to war against their own brethren, and that is why almost everyone in the forward division was a Christian, or at least a professing Christian. Every step these deceived believers took in obedience to the accuser strengthened his power over them. This made his confidence and the confidence of all his commanders grow with the progress of the army as it marched forward. It was apparent that the power of this army depended on the agreement of these Christians with the ways of evil, the prisoners. 
Trailing behind these first divisions was a multitude of other Christians who were prisoners of this army. All of these captive Christians were wounded, and they were guarded by smaller demons of fear. There seemed to be more prisoners than there were demons in that army. Surprisingly, these prisoners still had their swords and shields, but they did not use them. It was a shock to see that so many could be kept captive by so few of the little demons of fear. If the Christians had just used their weapons, they could easily have freed themselves and probably done great damage to the entire evil horde. Instead, they marched submissively along. Above the prisoners, the sky was black with vultures named Depression. Occasionally, these would land on the shoulders of the prisoners and would vomit on him. The vomit was condemnation. When the vomit hit a prisoner, he would stand up and march a little straighter for a while, and then slump over, even weaker than before. Again, I wondered why the prisoners did not simply kill these vultures with their swords, which they could have easily done. Occasionally, the weaker prisoners would stumble and fall. As soon as they hit the ground, the other prisoners would begin stabbing them with their swords, scorning them for their weakness. The vultures would then come swooping in again to devour the fallen ones even before they were dead. The other Christian prisoners stood by and watched this approvingly, occasionally stabbing the fallen ones again with their swords. As I watched, I realized that these prisoners thought the vomit of condemnation was truth from God. Then I understood that these prisoners actually thought that they were marching in the army of God. This is why they did not kill the little demons of fear or the vultures. They thought these were God's messengers. The darkness from the cloud of vultures made it so hard for these prisoners to see that they naively accepted everything that happened to them as being from the Lord. They felt that those who stumbled were under God's judgment, which is why they attacked them the way they did. They thought they were helping God. The only food provided for these prisoners was the vomit from the vultures. Those who refused to eat it simply weakened until they fell. Those who did eat it were strengthened for a time, but with the strength of the evil one. Then they would weaken unless they would drink the waters of bitterness that were constantly being offered to them. After drinking the bitter waters, they would begin to vomit on the others. When one of the prisoners began to do this, a demon that was waiting for a ride would climb up on him and ride him to one of the front divisions. Satanic Slime even worse than the vomit from the vultures was a repulsive slime that these demons were urinating and defecating upon the Christians they rode. This slime was the pride, selfish ambition, etc. That was the nature of their division. However, this slime made the Christians feel so much better than the condemnation that they easily believed that the demons were messengers of God. They actually thought this slime was the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I had been so repulsed by the evil army that I wanted to die. Then the voice of the Lord came to me, saying, This is the beginning of the enemy's last day army. This is Satan's ultimate deception. His ultimate power of destruction is released when he uses Christians to attack one another. Throughout the ages he has used this army, but never has he been able to use so many for his evil purpose as he is now. Do not fear. I have an army too. You must now stand and fight, because there is no longer any place to hide from this war. You must fight for my kingdom, for truth, and for those who have been deceived. This word from the Lord was so encouraging that I immediately began yelling to the Christian prisoners that they were deceived, thinking that they would listen to me. When I did this, it seemed that the whole army turned to look at me. The cloud of fear and depression that was over them started to come toward me. I still kept yelling because I thought the Christians would wake up and realize what was happening to them. 
Instead, many of them started reaching for their arrows to shoot at me. The others just hesitated, as if they did not know what to make of me. I knew then that I had spoken out prematurely, and that it had been a very foolish mistake. The battle begins. Then I turned and saw the army of the Lord standing behind me. There were thousands of soldiers, but they were still greatly outnumbered. I was shocked and disheartened, for it seemed there were actually many more Christians being used by the evil one than there were in the army of the Lord. I also knew that the battle about to begin was going to be viewed as the great Christian civil war, because very few would understand the dark powers that were behind the impending conflict. As I looked more closely at the army of the Lord, the situation seemed even more discouraging. Only a small number were fully dressed in their armor. Many only had one or two pieces of their armor on. Some did not have any at all. A large number were already wounded. Most of those who had all their armor still had very small shields, which I knew would not protect them from the onslaught that was coming. Very few of those who were fully armed were adequately trained to use their weapons. To my further surprise, the great majority of these soldiers were women and children. Behind this army was a trailing mob which seemed very different in nature from the prisoners who followed the evil horde. Those in the mob seemed overly happy, as if intoxicated. They were playing games, singing songs, feasting, and roaming about one little camp to the next. This reminded me of Woodstock. I ran towards the army of the Lord to escape the onslaught I knew would be coming at me from the evil horde. In every way, it seemed we were in for a most one-sided slaughter. I was especially concerned for the mob that was trailing the Lord's army, so I tried to raise my voice above the clamor to warn them that a battle was about to begin. Only a few could even hear me. Those who heard gave me the peace sign and said they did not believe in war. When those in the mob assured me that the Lord would not let anything bad happen to them, I tried to explain that he had given us armor because we needed it for what was about to take place. To this, they retorted that they had come to a place of peace and joy where nothing like that could happen to them. I began praying earnestly for the Lord to increase the shields of those with the armor to help protect those who were not ready for the battle. Then a messenger came up to me, gave me a trumpet, and told me how to blow it quickly. When I did, those who had at least some of their armor on immediately responded, snapping to attention. More armor was brought to them, which they quickly put on. I noticed that those who were wounded did not put armor on over their wounds. But before I could say anything about this, enemy arrows began raining down on us. Everyone who did not have all of his armor on was wounded. Those who had not covered their wounds were struck again in the same area they had been wounded before. Those who were hit by arrows of slander immediately began to slander those who were not wounded. Those who were hit with gossip began to gossip, and soon a major division had been created within our own camp. I felt that we were on the verge of destroying ourselves, just as some of the heathen armies in the scripture had done by rising up to kill each other. The feeling of helplessness was terrible. <laughs> I told you this is going to be a good one. You're, uh, you are in for it on this one. It will stretch your thoughts. It's going to stretch your imagination. It's going to stretch your faith. It's going to stretch your spiritual well-being. I want you to really concentrate and think about all these things that I just said. All the divisions, the banners that are held over these divisions of, of the evil horde. And then think about what's happening even in the Christian army, in the Lord's army. 
some of the deception that's already there, some of the the misunderstanding, some of the the wrong teaching, it's it's all being explained rather extravagantly. Yes, it's a visionary story. It will stretch us. It will move us. And I pray that you open your heart up and let God show you what he wants you to see in the process of this. We are preparing for this end battle. That This is where we are. We can't deny it. We understand it. We get it. We know, as followers of Christ, where we are in this world today and the descriptiveness that's coming. These are warnings for us. These are things that we can take to heart. These are places in our own life that we can begin to build up. We can begin to, to, to strengthen the walls around us, these weaknesses that we might have. But pay attention to what God's speaking in the midst of all of this. Amen. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He will deliver us. The truth will set us free. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, this new journey on on this is going to be great. I'm uh, I'm excited. I, I know only once a week is hard to do, but uh, but we'll we'll continue with our story time uh, on Saturdays as best we can. So stay tuned. The next chapter is coming. I encourage you to go back and listen to this again and let God pull you in wherever He needs to. Amen. We love you. Thank you for your support. You can follow our support links are on our webpage, www.livingloudoutdoors. You can find it on our Facebook page as well. We love you. We're praying for you. Pray that God blesses you abundantly. Amen. God bless you. We'll talk to you again real soon.